We're going to talk about fatherhood today and the importance of fatherhood. And I'm reminded of those words of John where he says, Behold what manner of love it is to be called children of God. And first of all, just think about the blessing that it is to be a child of God. To be able to call Him Father. And no matter where your father is today, or no matter how active your father was in your life, no matter how perfect or imperfect, behold what manner of love it is to be called a child of God. Now I want to talk about fatherhood. And as you can imagine, it's a a subject that's very near and dear to me and to my heart. And it is a spiritual vocation. It is from God. And uh, I have a lot of feelings about it today. Uh, Because just uh, not too long ago, I I lost my own father, which is no surprise. And I'm grateful to Robbie for writing such a moving tribute to him in the Lindsley Avenues. And I would not cried for a long time. And I'm not a crier, so I'm going to talk about crying in this sermon some. And you're going to think that I'm just this crying guy. And I don't cry a lot, but when I have a lot of reasons to cry, I do cry. And uh, I hadn't cried since my father's funeral. And I got into that point in my doctoral journey to where you do the defense. And my father was very proud of the fact that I was going to school and I was uh, finishing that degree. In fact, when I went and saw him at the hospital, he told every nurse that came in that I was going to be a doctor. And I had to keep explaining that it's not that kind of doctor. It's a... It's a long story, nurse. It's, I can't tell you what to do right now. And uh, they kept asking me for advice because they all knew I was going to be a doctor. But anyway, he was very proud of that. And I got to that point in the journey of getting that degree to where you defend your dissertation. That is the culmination of all your efforts in your dissertation. You work on this thing for years. And you finally get to the point to where they want to be rigorous. And they want you to stand before them. They want you to defend this Research and once you pass that goalpost, uh, that's a big deal. And of course, I hadn't cried. I wore my dad's jacket, which I'm wearing today. I wore my dad's class ring. And the one thing that I wanted to do was to call my dad. And as soon as I got to my car alone, I turned into a, a little boy just wanting to tell my dad what I'd done. And I just wanted to hear those simple words of, I'm proud of you, son. That's all I wanted. And I think about all of the things that my father has left me. He's left me a lot of good things. You know, my dad, he was a collector, and some would even say he was kind of a, he collected junk. He was a, Hoarder. He's got a lot of stuff. My dad was a collector. He has all kinds of cool stuff. He's got instruments. So me and my brother, we decide what we want and what we don't want. And, of course, I get one of the guitars. He gets a guitar. I want his guitar that he got when he was 13 years old. He's got all kinds of cool books, cool clothes, cool memories. 
But there's other things that my father left me. Number one, he left me a good name. And I didn't always understand the value of that. I didn't. How powerful and how important a good name is. I took his name from him and I, I thank you, Dad. And of course, that's always a point of conversation. What, where in the world did you get your name? I got it from, I'm a sequel. And it's always true that the original is better than the sequel, right? And that's true in my case. The Bible says that a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches and how true that is. And I've told this before, but there was a time in my life when I was a little boy, my mother told me, she said, you have been given your father's name. And with that comes responsibility. That you are a reflection on him. And he left me a good name. He left me a good example. An example that I can follow today, that I follow by getting up this morning to come into church, to loving my wife, to loving my daughter, to loving you. And he also gave me a great hope. When I saw my father fighting for his life, because he loved life. And that's what a Christian is. It's a person who loves life, who loves to be alive. And that's what eternal life is all about. It's about this desire to live. And he had it. And when I saw him in his hospital bed, it looked like he had gone 15 rounds. 15 rounds. But I never saw him fearful. Never saw him afraid because he had a hope. He had a faith. So I'm mindful today of just how special our fathers are. And it's easy at this point in our lives to look back and to, to see how important they are in our lives. I want to talk about Noah this morning. And I want to first begin by saying, a lot of times I leave this to the very end of the sermon on Noah, but I want to say it on the front end because a lot of times when we go through this lesson of Noah, we see how great his faith is and all this wondrous things, how momentous he was. And, and for me, when I look at the story of Noah, I'm like, man, I could never do that as a father. But so I want to state this on the beginning. Noah wasn't perfect. And I want that to, first of all, be said because a lot of times when we look at the story of our Bible heroes, we begin to see our own inadequacies, our own weaknesses, and we begin to we leave the church building feeling smaller than when we came in. And I don't want that to happen today. Noah wasn't perfect. And there's not a perfect father in this room. And my father himself wasn't perfect. He loved me, though. But Noah wasn't perfect. In fact, at the end of the story of Noah's life, he's, he plants his vineyard. He gets, he gets tore up from the floor up. And it ends up being a curse on some of his children because they see his nakedness. 
And so I think the, the Lord gives us an insight. He says, hey, I know Noah was great, but guys, I want you to know he struggled too. He had his issues, and guess what? Noah, he was the savior of the world of his time, but guess what? Noah needed a savior too. And that's what that's about. That as great as Noah was, he still needed a savior. And I need a savior. Being without fathers, sometimes we can be in the home as fathers and, and not really be there. There's many times where I'm in my house and I'm at home, but I'm preoccupied. There's a story about a little boy who goes up to his father and asks him how much he makes an hour. His father's a little bit annoyed by it. He keeps nagging him. Come on, Dad, tell me how much we find. Like 20 bucks an hour. And so then he, the little boy goes over to his mother and asks her for $10. And so the father comes in and he hears the boy begging for $10. He says, is that because you asked her how much I made an hour? Why are you asking your mom for $10? So the mother hands him $10. The little boy pulls out another $10. And he says, Here, here's $20. I want to buy an hour of your time. <laughs> we can be in the home, but we're not always present. In fact, Mother Teresa said this. She says, if you want to go change the world... Go home and love your family. Isn't that profound? If we want to change the world, go home and love your family. And that's a message to fathers, that's a message to mothers, that's a message to aunts and uncles and grandmothers and grandfathers and whatever our family is made up of. But God does charge fathers a responsibility to provide, to provide, number one, materially. Children shouldn't go hungry. And it says that those who deny their children have denied the faith and are worse than infidels if they don't provide materially, substantially for their children. Also, fathers are to provide spiritually for their children. It says, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Fathers bring safety, refuge. Freud said it like this, I cannot think of any need in childhood as strong as the need for a father's protection. And we have Noah. You know, Noah has become one of the most popular baby names in recent years. In fact, I think in 2015, it was the most popular boy, baby name, Noah. Isn't that interesting? But it says in Hebrews 11:7, By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. To the saving of his house. And that just resonates so strongly with me. Because so many times we focus on the social ills outside and we think about all the people we need to help. And as a minister, I think about all the people I can help here and all the people I can help at a facility. But it says Noah prepared an ark for the saving of his household. And so evangelism and helping, they say charity, begins where? At the home. 
And it's interesting that when we look back in Genesis, that the very beginning of the story of Noah begins with the fact that he is a father. That's what it starts out with in Genesis 5.32. And it says, And Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And what we find in the story of Noah is that, number one, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And it's the same story, isn't it? The same story of grace is in the Old Testament. Because we're not saved of works, we're saved by grace. And it says, and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And it gives what Noah's character is in the context of the people that he was living in. And it says in Genesis chapter 6 that the imagination of the people was on evil continually. It was a wicked, wicked world that Noah lived in. And amidst all of that wickedness, Noah found grace in the eyes of God. And sometimes we as fathers and as we as Christians are going to have to live in opposition in contrast to the way that the world's living. And that the consensus isn't always right. You see, it's not the number of people that decide what's wrong and right, is it? Because there have been times in our history where the majority was wrong. I think that happened in about 1930 in Germany. The majority had an idea. But were they right? And it gives this character of Noah, it says... Number one, that Noah had a relationship with God. It says, Noah, in chapter 6, verse 9, was a just man, blameless in his generations. And here it is. Here's the key. He walked with God. He walked with God. That meant that he had a relationship with God. Noah was a man of prayer. Did it mean he was perfect? No, it meant he had a relationship with God. That he prayed to God. That he walked with God. That he lived in the presence of God. Even though the rest of the world had forgotten God. And sometimes as fathers and sometimes as parents, it can feel like that. That the world has forgotten who God is. We also see that there's a difference between knowing about God... And knowing God. Sometimes we can know things about God, but that doesn't mean that we know Him. But it says Noah walked with God. And we also find that when Noah receives the Word of the Lord, he's obedient to it. It says, And Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. And once he got the blueprints for the big boat, he started building And in the same way, when we get the blueprints, when we get the instructions, when we get the commandments of God, the Word of God, it's our job to begin constructing that mode of salvation for our families. Jesus said, teaching them to observe whatsoever I have commanded you. Teaching you to observe the commandments. Jesus said, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father. Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. Those aren't my words. 
Those are the words of Jesus. So grace becomes a responsibility. Grace is not a license to do whatever I want to do. And Bonhoeffer called that cheap grace when we use the grace of God as a permitted to do whatever we want. But grace is a responsibility. God saved Noah and then He gave him the job to build the ark. Man, that's a big job, isn't it? And let me tell you something. Sometimes being a father feels like you're building an ark. (laughs) The responsibility of a father is no small undertaking, is it? Got to wake up early. Sometimes it feels like we're building an ark. You just remember the dimensions of the ark. 300 cubits in length, 50 cubits wide, 30 cubits height. That's 500 feet long, 85 feet wide, 50 feet high. And so when we look at that, and of course you can go up and see a replica of that up in Kentucky. But here's, here's a breakdown of how much that is. It's 1.5 million cubic feet. That's 569 modern railroad cars, five and a half miles long. Floor space of 101,000 square feet, the size of 21 college basketball courts. Now you think your job as dad is hard. Think about Noah's day. I want you to save your family. Here you go. Here's the plans. I need you to build this ark for me. And of course, I'm sure he had a little cooperation, I hope, from Shem, Ham, and Japheth. But here's another thing that makes me encouraged by Noah too, is that it also calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. And so during this time of preparing the ark, Noah is also warning not only his family and trying to save his family, but he's also preaching to the known world, that evil world that had evil continually on their minds all the time. He was also preaching to them. And when the flood came, how many people got on the boat? Just his family. He didn't have one response anywhere else. But he did have his family on the ark. And it says that Noah preached for some 100 years or 120 years, something like that. And the grace that was extended to Noah was then extended to his family and then extended to those animals. And that's the way grace is supposed to work. That when God gives you grace, that when God gives you love, that when God gives you forgiveness then it needs to reverberate through all the rest of your relationships. Behold what manner it is to be called a child of God. When someone knows the grace of God, it's extended to others in the way that we treat people, in the way that we love people. And so we have this picture of salvation. And if you haven't read the story of Noah, read it. But it says in chapter 8, verse number 1, Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all animals that were with him on the ark. And God made the wind to pass over the earth and the waters to subside. So after being on this boat and in this ark, He saved humanity. 
And so this is the story of the recreation of humanity. And we find that salvation is given to Noah and humanity. And we find afterwards that salvation is worship. Then when Noah gets off the ark, he builds an altar to the Lord and begins to worship God in thanksgiving. That's what we do here today is to worship God for the salvation that He's given us. God is a spirit and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. We see that there's sacrifice after the ark. That Noah presents a burnt offering on the altar to God and our lives are a sacrifice. Paul said, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God. That's what salvation is. We also see, of course, that great rainbow. That sign of the covenant between God and Noah. And it says... This is a sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature. I set my rainbow in the cloud. One of the things that happened to me, and I wasn't sure I was going to share this because y'all might think I'm a little crazy and most of you that know me well know I am, was that I went to pick out where I was going to bury my father. Went up to the family cemetery I was alone, and I was driving home alone. And every time I came around the corner, there was a rainbow. And it was like nothing I'd really ever seen before. This rainbow followed me all the way home from Huntington, Tennessee. In fact, when I got to the exit to go home, it was so brilliant that there were people stopping on the sides of the road to look at this rainbow. And then when I got home, my brother sent me a song that my dad recorded back in about 1960. And I listened to the words, and of course I'm going to tell you this, because I've already told you before, I started crying. Surprise. The words were Moon River, wider than a mile. I'm crossing you in style someday. Oh, dream maker. You heartbreaker, wherever you're going, I'm going your way. Two drifters off to see the world. There's such a lot of world to see. We're after the same rainbow's end, raiding round the bend. My huckleberry friend, Moon River, and me. I don't know if that means what it means to you. There's a covenant between us and God. A rainbow. He promises salvation to all of us. And that's who a father is, isn't it? Just want to leave you with one last thing. Paul Harvey. Father is a thing that is forced to endure childbirth without any anesthetic. A father is a thing that growls when it feels good and laughs loud when it's scared half to death. A father never feels entirely worthy of the worship of his child's eyes. He's never quite the hero his daughter thinks, never quite the man his son believes him to be. 
This worries him sometimes, so he works too hard to try to smooth the rough places in the road for those of his own who will follow him. A father is a thing that gets very angry when school grades aren't as good as he thinks they should be. He scolds his son, although he knows it's the teacher's fault. Fathers grow old faster than other people. And while mothers can cry where it shows, fathers stand there and beam outside and die inside. Fathers have very stout hearts, and they have to be broken sometimes or no one would know what is inside. Fathers give daughters away to other men who aren't nearly as good enough so that they can have grandchildren who are smarter than anybody's. <laughs> Fathers fight dragons almost daily. They hurry away from the breakfast table off to the arena, which is sometimes called an office or a workshop, where they tackle the dragon with three heads, weariness, work, and monotony. Knights in shining armor. Fathers make bets with insurance companies about who will live the longest. Though they know the odds, they keep right on betting. Even as the odds get higher and higher, they keep on betting more and more. And one day they lose. But fathers enjoy an earthly immortality, and the bet is paid off to, to the part of him he leaves behind. I don't know where fathers go when they die. I do. But I have an idea that after a good rest, he won't be happy unless there's some work to do. He won't just sit on a cloud and wait for the girl he's loved and the children she's bore. He'll be busy there, too, oiling the gate and smoothing the way. We've been blessed with a heavenly Father. It's always with us. One of the unique things about Jesus is that he brings that to light in his ministry. Did you know that in the Old Testament, that God is only referred to as a father 15 times? Only 15 times that that metaphor is used for God. But when you look at the Gospels, Jesus calls his father 165 times. Jesus reveals the love of God as a father. No matter what, you have a Father who's waiting on you. If you're not a Christian this morning, begin to call Him Father. Call out His name. Understand that He sent His Son Jesus so that we can understand Him. Because there's no better way to understand a Father than to, to learn from the Son. And that is God's greatest revelation is through His Son Jesus. And that's why we say... I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Repent of sin, confess Him, be baptized, and walk with Him. Walk with Jesus, and you walk with the Father. This morning, if you have any need, we stand ready to assist you. Won't you come now as we sing this next song, and as we stand and as we sing?